Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 157 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous, the elusive, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's dive straight into the review part of the show, Ayaz. It's funny, because last week, Ayaz, you were actually at the back in terms of the Prediction League, and now this week, with your correct predictions, it's all been twisted round. You'll have to wait and see, so stay tuned for the Prediction League current standings that I'll get onto at the back end of the show. Um, Let's start, though, in Russia. One fight to mention, or a couple fights to mention, on the World Boxing Super Series card that happened over in a place called Ekaterinburg um, in Russia, like I say. Top of the bill, we had Zelani Tete, 27-3. and three. He put his WBO World Bantamweight title on the line against Mikhail Aloyan, who was only 4-0, and but was a real good amateur. Um, the fight ended up going the full 12, and Zelani Tete was able to, to, to get the decision there. So quite an, quite an impressive win to go on the road and beat a real good amateur in the amateur's backyard of Russia. I thought that if it went to cards... You know, he could end up with a little bit of a kind of favoritism talking about Aloyan there. I think he'd have probably been done a favour by the judges. But yeah, they were they were pretty fair and they've gave it to Tete. Aloyan was down in the first round though, that is one thing. But then what ruled that out? Zolani Tete had a point deducted in the tenth round, um, but then also in the eleventh round, Aloyan had a point deducted for holding. So um yeah, two points deducted and a knockdown there. Quite eventful, I, I guess, for some of Zelani Tete's fights. But yeah, good win for him there. He moves into the next round of the World Boxing Super Series tournament. Um, also on this bill, we had uh, we had in the Cruiserweight World Boxing Super Series tournament, Andrew Tabiti, 16-0. He came in there against Ruslan Faifa, who was 23-0. I don't think he'd really fought that many people. A little bit of a padded record. He certainly didn't have the names that Tabiti had. Um, Faifa had a point deducted in the 12th round, but it didn't really matter, to be honest. It was a 12-round unanimous decision in favour of Andrew Tabiti, the uh, the Mayweather Promotions fighter, I believe. He's, I think he's still with the money team. Um, also so on the undercard, we had Vladimir Shishkin, 7-0. and He got a TKO in round 10 against Najib Mohammadi. That's quite impressive there from Shishkin. A huge step up on paper this was for him. Not even just on paper. It was a huge step up, to be honest. Najib Mohammadi now 40-7. and um, He was down in the ninth round. And like I say, he was down in the 10th round. Shishkin had a point deducted in, um, in round 9. It's funny because there were three big fights on this bill. And in all of the fights, opponents had... Um, or, or at least one fighter had a point deducted, which we don't see too often. So some hot-headed referees over there in Russia. Moving over now, though, to the York Hall card at Bethnal Green. I was sat there ringside for it. What a bill this was. It was shown on 5 Spike, the undercard, and also it was shown on Channel 5 for the main event. 
Um, let's get into this. Let's get into this. I'm going to start with the undercard. Um, I'm going to start with Chantel Cameron. She successfully moved to 8-0. She defended her IBO World Female Lightweight title against Jessica Gonzalez, 7-4 with two draws going in. A very tough Mexican lady who'd never been stopped, and she wasn't stopped here. Also, I should mention the uh, the vacant WBC Silver Female Lightweight title was on the line as well. Um, yeah, uh, you know, a unanimous decision, 10 two-minute rounds in favour of Chantel Cameron, like I say. Gonzalez was deducted a point in round nine. I think the referee was a little bit harsh on Gonzalez. I think that he was on her case quite a lot. I think that Chantel, Chantel's quite a dirty fighter. I've been I've been watching her a few times now, and like she does stuff like she got her opponent in a headlock, and then, you know, while she bent her opponent over kind of thing, she threw one to the ribs, you know, the unguarded, unprotected ribs of her opponent, like a left hook to the ribs um, a few times she was hitting her in the back of the head I mean she's quite a dirty fighter not that she's not a brilliant fighter because she is and I'm a big fan of hers but she can get quite nasty and I was expecting the Mexican lady to to probably have a few tricks up her sleeve but I think Chantel was the one who knew the rough and the rough and ready tricks and she was up for it and um you know, an impressive win. She banks the rounds and she moves up those rankings in the uh, in the lightweight division. I think they're putting her at about third or fourth in the world now on most of the sanctioning bodies. Um, I think even on box rec, she's ranked really highly. Her and Katie Taylor, that fight needs to happen. It really does. Um, aside from that, it was a good win for her. Uh, very bloody. She had blood all over her face that wasn't even hers. It was her opponent's. So uh, you can imagine the scene if you hadn't watched the fight. Also, we had Chris Billum Smith 6 and 0 he took on Robin Dupree 13 and 1 Dupree's one loss came to the Commonwealth champion um Luke the Duke Watkins where he lost that fight obviously um Dupree actually quit on his store after 5 rounds it was a scheduled 10 rounder but of course we didn't need that um, it was a good fight while it lasted. I think both men showed vulnerabilities. I think that Chris Billum Smith, his legs are like tree trunks. They really are. He looks so solid and planted when he's throwing his shots. Um, real, real good fighter. The first time I've sat down and watched him properly, and I must say, I think he's got a bright future. I really do. I want to see him in some big fights at Cruiserweight domestically. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of a weird stoppage in the corner. It was a good fight while it lasted. Um, I think it would have probably ended in a brutal knockout. But both men hit each other. Um, both men seemed to have each other in trouble at parts of the fight. But it was mainly Chris Billum Smith who was looking the better in there. I think he probably won pretty much every round. And he was very annoyed when when um, when Dupree decided to pull himself out. And again, I'm not quite sure what actually happened. But the fight ended um, ended prematurely there. Also, we had Louis Adolfi. He outpointed William Warburton. So Adolfi now 9-1, a six-rounder there. Uh, we also had um, Lee McGregor, 4-0. He took on Thomas Asomba, who was 8-4. This one was for the vacant Commonwealth Bantamweight title. Lee McGregor, a huge, huge step up for him. And Thomas Asomba is a lot better than his record suggests. He'd, of course, never been stopped in his four losses. McGregor was obviously the much better punch picker. You could see that um, pretty much straight away. Um, I felt that McGregor sometimes was loading up a little bit too much. He was very, very sharp early on, but he was gassing through the midway point of the fight he actually got knocked down but when I've looked on box rec it's not been called a knockdown so I'm not sure what happened on TV or whatever but I know that the referee gave him a count and he wasn't happy about it and again I think on the replay on TV I don't think it should have been a knockdown so I'm not quite sure the final ruling of that from ringside but 
Um, it was a little bit of a questionable knockdown, like I say. It seemed like um, McGregor can punch, though. Um, he, he has got snap in his shots. I think Asomba's tough as nails, and he was very fit, Asomba. Um, he'd never been stopped before, like I say, and McGregor had stopped everyone that he'd been in with. So if someone's routine had to break, would McGregor go the distance for the first time, or would Asomba get knocked out for the first time? And another thing about McGregor, he reminds me of Lee Selby, not just because his name's Lee, not just because his nickname's Lightning, um, but also his fighting style. He's he's kind of got similar moves to Lee Selby. I saw that. Um, he is young, though, and like I say, it was a steady step up for him, and an improved version of McGregor will be a real good fighter. He really, really will. He's certainly one to watch. Um, he will improve rapidly, I believe, certainly under the tutelage of Shane McGuigan. He's very big for the bantamweight division, I believe, when I was looking at him as well. But a little bit heavy-legged. I think sometimes a little bit of a criticism is that he carries his weight on his front foot a little bit too much. And sometimes his backhand, like... He won't, he won't really get the power on it because all that weight's on the front foot, so it kind of makes it an arm punch at times. But yeah, a decent finish from him. Like I say, it came, it came late. It was in the 12th and final round, but a statement made. Um, he, did, he did land one or two shots on Asomba while he was on his knees, Asomba. So that was a bit naughty. But anyway, the towel got thrown in from Asomba's team. So yeah, a brilliant little win there for Lee McGregor. Now 5-0 with five knockouts, and he's got the Commonwealth title unbelievable stuff for him but now the main event Martin Bacoli 11 and 0 he took on the the American Michael Hunter 14 and 1 that one loss came to Usyk at Cruiserweight on points no shame in that whatsoever it was for the vacant IBO Intercontinental Heavyweight title um what an unbelievable fight. I mean, I'm going to go through this um, through this round by round here. So the first round, I felt that Michael didn't really seem to have the edge in power. I saw that straight away. I think Bacoli had a real good stiff ramrod jab. And his reach was certainly giving him success. He had the clearly longer reach. Michael definitely checked Bacoli's chin in that first round, though. But he certainly outworked him. And um, Hunter, I felt, won that round despite being on the back foot. In, in round two, I felt that Hunter was making Bacoli miss a lot, but he wasn't really throwing too much in that second round. Everything he did throw was clever, though, and he certainly landed the cleaner of the shots. But he also took some good shots himself in the second round, Michael. A close round. It, it was one of those rounds where I think you, um, you'd score it depending on what you like, but I actually was thinking that Michael looked tired even in that second round. But again, I've said it before, he's got that style. I don't, I don't even know if it's a style, but it's very deceptive. His mouth's open like he's really tired, but he's not as tired as he looks. It's, it's a weird thing with him, it really is. But um, Bacoli, I think, probably, probably, in my opinion, won that round. So I had it 1-1 after two rounds. Like I say, it was, it was one of those rounds where it, it depended on what you liked. It was a round for debate, for sure. But anyway, forget about that. The third round, it was a very easy round to score. Michael was outboxing Bacoli. Bacoli didn't seem to be throwing much at all. He seemed to be looking quite pedestrian. Um, Michael made Bacoli miss a lot. I counted one good shot from Bacoli in that whole round. Michael landed at least 10 eye-catching shots in that round, but Bacoli looked solid as a rock. As soon as I saw that in the third round, I could, I could just tell the shots he was taking, he was solid in there, he really was. So again, I'd, I'd probably score it 2-1 um, after three rounds there. In the fourth round, Hunter had been pushing Bacoli back um, in that round. I think he also did the same in the third round. So two rounds in a row where Hunter started to put Bacoli on the back foot. Bacoli was trying to counter, but 
he was missing a lot. I wasn't too sure at that point what his game plan is. The pair was exchanging big shots, but once again, it wasn't even close. That was a clear round there for Michael Hunter. Um, yeah, going into the fifth round, Hunter looked totally exhausted at that point, which is crazy. But Bacoli was unable to pin him down. And for me, he was outsmarted once again. Um, despite being on the front foot, Bacoli started going back on the front foot there in the fifth round. But still, for me, a Hunter round. So 4-1 to Hunter. In the sixth round, it was a very close round. Hunter started very well. Bacoli finished really well. I felt that Hunter nicked it on his earlier work in the round. But Bacoli should have been up in the pace because Hunter's gas tank did look empty in that sixth round. But he did. Um, he was letting Michael still kind of put him on the back foot and out hustle him. So five one there, or or um, even a case of six six rounds to zero. Like I say, um, in the seventh round, it was a completely one sided round. No one really got hurt to be honest, but Michael had Bacoli pinned on the ropes for about two minutes thirty of that three minute round, leaning on him. He was throwing little hooks here and there. Bacoli was starting to look very tired too at that point, but he definitely still had some snap in his shots. Bacoli's team acknowledged he was behind. They said that in the corner at the end of that round. Um, in the eighth round, Michael was totally spent, in my opinion. I mean, he just needed to stay on his feet, and for me, he'd have won easily. I couldn't see a way at that point that he was going to get the knockout. I've written that here. Bacoli, I think, probably won that eighth round, but it was a close round once again. Um, at the end of that round, I believe, I think it was the end of round eight, where Bacoli signaled to his team that something was up with his shoulder and he wanted to pull out and Billy Nelson of course said you can't pull out you've got no quitting you and he put him back in there um in the ninth round, I felt that Michael won that round. It was a bit of a battle of the jabs, to be honest. Bacoli was completely done. He was he was seeming like he was feeling sorry for himself. Um, Michael needed to not risk anything, though, because for me, I think he was mixing it up too much. I think he should have probably been dancing around rather than trying to exchange with him in that ninth round. And then, of course, in the tenth round... Um, I felt that Bacoli actually started the round pretty good. He was having success. He was he was landing big shots on Michael, who, like I say, had looked tired for about seven rounds now. And um, I don't know where it come from, but Michael landed one shot out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, he got an injection of energy, and he just went for the kill. And he completely piled it on to Bacoli. And I don't know where this energy came from in Michael. And he just went for the kill. He pinned him on the ropes. He hit him with clean flush shots, left hooks, right hooks. I think he got him to the body once or twice as well. He just completely went for it. And I remember sitting there ringside screaming because I thought there was about 10 seconds left in the round. But the referee should have at least stopped it 10, 12 or so seconds before that. The corner should have thrown the towel in. They basically did not want. Bacoli to get knocked out. They wanted him to survive to the distance. So I thought there was about 10 seconds left in the round. So I thought they were going to probably get their wish. Because Bacoli didn't seem like he was going to go down. To his credit, he's a tough, tough, tough guy. And I said to Michael before the fight, because Michael told me that he believed he was going to stop him. And um, I said, it. we don't know how good his chin is, Michael. So don't, you know, don't 100% start thinking that's going to happen. And Michael said to me, it doesn't matter how good his chin is. These are his words. He said, it doesn't matter how good his chin is. I'm going to be hitting him too often and too clean for it to matter how good his chin is. And, you know, he said to me, he said, after about two rounds or three rounds, I fought back to what you said. And I said, Do you know what? He was right. He was right about his tough chin. And like I say, um, he even said to me that in about the seventh or eighth round, he thought, that's it. I'm not going to 
be able to knock him out. But I tell you what, he went for it and he got the knockout. And like I say, watching it back on TV, there was 45 seconds left in the round when the referee jumped in. And when the referee did jump in, which was late in my opinion, like I say, the towel should have even come in. Uh, the referee actually took one in the face himself from Michael Hunter. So a brilliant thing for him to come over here and do that to to, to Bacoli, who again, everyone was saying was so good. He's been sparring Joshua. He's been doing, I think, about 150 rounds with Anthony Joshua in the gym. But um, yeah, I mean, he's come over here and I want to say possibly exposed Bacoli a little bit. Um, again, you can't go off sparring. This is what everyone was telling me in the build-up. I was a little bit hesitant myself. I was thinking, do you know what? I've heard so many good things about Bacoli. It's such a hard fight to pick. But again, I went with Hunter to win on points, I add. You went with Hunter to win by knockout, so you must have been pretty confident. And the listeners hugely they went with Bacoli by knockout massively none of our listeners really gave Hunter a chance he was on our show last week and he he pulled off the victory so well picked from you there I as you gained a point there I was 45 seconds away from gaining a point but one thing that we need to address here and this is something real real crazy um, everyone's criticizing Billy Nelson the the, the manager and, and trainer of Bacoli because he didn't want to pull his fighter out and in his defense he's come out on Twitter and said that, and remember, the way I scored the fight, I've got it 8-1 or 7-2 at a push going into the 10th round. So that's five or six points up for Michael there. Um, the judges, this is what Billy Nelson revealed, one judge had Michael one point up going into the final round, and two judges had it a draw going into the final round. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was hearing when, when Billy Nelson said that on Twitter. I couldn't believe what I was reading. And he said that, so that was his defense. He's saying, no, why would I pull him out of a fight that he was right in there? You know, he was right in there. He could he could have won. If he won that last round, literally, if he would have won that last round, he'd have got the decision. And it would have been one of the biggest robberies I've ever seen. Um, no one can believe what the judges had on their scorecards. But for Billy Nelson to come out and say that in a fight where no one, no one had it close going into that final round, it kind of makes me think that, Billy Nelson knew about the scores during the fight because no one in their right mind had that close. And Billy Nelson must have known it wasn't close, but there was a reason why he wasn't stopping it. And he must have known the judging during the fight, which Hunter's team certainly didn't. And I actually informed Hunter's team the next day. I rang up Michael in his hotel room and I said to him, listen, do you know what the scorecards were? And I told him, and he actually, he was in so much disbelief that he had to put me on loudspeaker to tell the rest of his team about it because he couldn't believe what I told him. And when I said that, I can't even repeat what they said in response when I told them that it was that close. I mean, they were they were literally getting ready to rob Michael Hunter of the decision. The judges were getting ready to rob Michael Hunter of the decision. But the thing is, if he would have survived that round, Bacoli, in my opinion, it was a 10-8 round. It certainly wasn't a, uh, you know, a drawn round. It certainly wasn't a 10-10. It certainly wasn't a Bacoli round. Michael Hunter all but knocked him unconscious. And like I say, the referee jumped in, but thankfully he did, because anyhow they'd have gave that a 10-10 round, it would have actually been a draw, which is shocking. So yeah, unbelievable. I'm so proud of Michael, being a friend of mine, of course. Um, you know, it was brilliant. It was brilliant to see him do what he did. And um, 
the next day I actually spent some time with him in his hotel. Um, I think he had two tickets to see something that happened at Wembley. I think it might have been NFL or something like that. And he gave it to his team members and they all went because he was resting up. Um, obviously, it was a very tough fight. He was absolutely exhausted and he didn't sleep a peep the whole night. So I went and saw him the following day in his hotel room and we, we spent about four hours together, um, which was really good. Just me and him. And, you know, I saw the belt there and it was just brilliant to speak to him in depth like we did about the fight and many other things I took him for his first Nando's which was which was excellent so um, yeah credit to Michael Hunter very very proud of him and um, yeah big big things for him down the line whether it's at heavyweight or cruiserweight a lot of people saying he certainly needs to go back down to cruiserweight obviously he'll he'll make that decision himself but a fantastic thing for him and he needs a big fight next he really does he's deserved it he's come over here in the UK and he's earned it and he's proved and he's actually had to have a tough fight here on the road for not much money and um, he's had to come over here and get the win and he was completely up against it the odds can tell you that um, you know, any poll that people put out can tell you that no one gave him a chance in hell apart from himself and he's gone and pulled it off and you know, for a man to have, a, to have an amateur career like he's had to be in the Olympics and stuff like that he now deserves a big shot so hopefully Al Heyman can deliver for him um, that's really it for that card there though moving over now to the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle, United Kingdom I am going to start here with Thomas Patrick Ward 24-0 he got a knockout in the first round against a guy called Tom Tram, who was actually 6-1, and one, now 6-2. and two. A body shot finished there for Thomas Patrick Ward, a man that's, I think, bired in time. I think he's got a big fight coming up soon. A good fighter, actually, and a young fighter as well. He's kind of done it on the small hall circuit, not with a big-time promoter. I want to see him do really well, Thomas Patrick Ward. Um, there were many, many body shot knockouts on this card, by the way. Hosea Burton stopped his man in the first round with a body shot, um, a first round knockout against Seydou Sally, I think it was, or Seydou Sal, his record now 10 and 9 with two draws, but more importantly, Jose Burton 22 and 1, uh, also we had Anthony Fowler move to 8 and 0, a TKO in the fifth round against Gabor Gorbix, a man that we've seen plenty of times on these shores, so a good win there for Fowler, not many people managed to knock Gorbix out, um, Simon Valili got stopped in the eighth round, a TKO against Craig Glover, who's now nine and one. Simon Valili now thirteen and two with one draw. Valili was actually down in the first round from a left hook, and he had a point deducted in the fifth round for use of his head. Now, like I say, back to the body shot finishes. Dave Allen, fourteen and four with two draws, took on Sammy Nebo, who was ten and two. All ten victories come by knockout. All two losses came by knockout. He had one draw on his resume. Also, but this one, like I say, Nebo got in there. Um, we we all knew that the fight was going to end in a knockout. We we knew that pretty much straight away. Um, well, as soon as the fight got announced. But Dave Allen, you know, the first shot he landed to the body of Nebo hurt Nebo, and he had an awful poker face because he basically showed his face to Dave Allen through his guard. He showed him his face and. <laughs> He looked so um, so troubled by the shot to his body, and he just grimaced straight away. And as soon as he grimaced, then Dave Allen knew what to do. And he bided his time for a few seconds, but he pinned him in the corner, and you know he threw once again to the body. I think it was a left hook, and then he went up to the up uh, up to the head with one or two shots. Then he came back down for a final left hook that he ripped to the body, and um, yeah, Nebo went down, and he didn't beat the count. So that that 
on my on my card here is one, two, three body shot finishes in the first round. And now we talk about another body shot finish in the first round. Josh Boatsy, seven and zero now, eight and zero. He defeated Tony Avalant, who's now twenty six and eleven with two draws. Like I say, Avalant was knocked out by a body shot. This was a defense of the WBA International Light Heavyweight Title from Boatsy. Um, the first knockdown, because there was two knockdowns in total. The first one, there was a little, little bit of a slight delayed reaction. Um, it was a body shot, like I say, and Avalant went down. He got back up, and he did survive for for um, almost all of that round because he was kind of on the back foot. He was being pinned against the ropes. He barely threw a shot himself, to be honest. Buatsi was just completely unloading on him. Um, and then with about 20 or so seconds, he got dropped with a left hook to the body. And um, despite getting up once or twice during the count, he went back down every time and he didn't want to continue. So, um, yeah, that was, that was an impressive win there from Buatsi, who... Like I say, it's time to get out the measuring stick. Boatsy's done it in a round, and it took Yard. I think it was, was it seven rounds? I think it took Yard to get rid of this guy, and he didn't knock him out. He actually made him quit on his stall. Um, Avalanche was down twice in the sixth round. Both, by the way, from left hooks to the body. So we know that Avalanche doesn't like it to the body. I think it obviously took Yard a lot longer to work that out than um, than Boatsy, but he very much put the, the blueprint in front of Boatsy, who went to the body, and like I say, Avalanche did didn't like it. So um, very impressive there when, when you get the measuring stick out, like I say, for these two light heavyweight undefeated Brits in Yard and Boatsy. But one thing is for sure, Avalanche, and this is, this is a little bit of a defense on Yard's side here, Avalanche had plenty of time to prepare for Anthony Yard. Um, I think he had a you know, at least a month or two to, to prepare for Yard. And I think in this case here, he didn't even have a week. I don't think he had a week's notice. So um, I think it's about five or four maybe days notice for the fight. So when you look at that, then you kind of think, well, you know, I understand what's going on there. So let's not get too carried away with, oh, Boatsy so much better than Yard because he had about a tenth of the time to prepare. So let's bear that in mind. But that's it for that one. That's that's another win there for Boatsy. Moving up the card once again, I as Lewis Ritson, a man that has had a fantastic 2018. Um, you know, he won the British title at the back end of last year. He's defended it three times successfully. I think he's the quickest man ever to win it outright, but he's got up there against Francesco Patera, 19 and 3. We'd seen him before against Sean Mashadod. He lost a split decision to Sean Mashadod. No one gave him a chance in hell to win this fight. It was for, like I say, the vacant EBU European lightweight title. Could Lewis Ritson finish his year on a high, win the British outright, and become European champion? Is it too good to be true? Talk to me, Ayaz. Um, unfortunately, um, on the night, Lewis Ritson lost that fight. Um, obviously, I was watching the fight from the start to the end. Um, in the first first run, I think Lewis Ritson was boxing really well. Um, obviously, he had the crowd with him. Alan Shearer was there ringside. He was boxing him up to round five. Obviously, he started off very fast. And I think he was going for that knockout in the first five rounds. Unfortunately, it wasn't happening. And obviously, as as the rounds went on, Petero was getting stronger and stronger. And Petero was winning the rounds. I had first round Ritson, Ritson, Patera, Ritson, Ritson. And then from there, I had Patera winning the whole rounds. Um, round 10, I had Lewis Ritson winning. But you know what it was with Ritson? He, he, he's trying to go for that early knockout. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And therefore, Patera won the fight. Obviously, Patera lands some very good shots on him in the face. Uh, Patera was hurting him as well. But Lewis Ritson still uh, had it in and obviously lost some points. 
yeah, like I say, I didn't even get a chance to sit down and watch this fight, unfortunately. But after I knew the result, which um, I was informed of by another media member when I was at Hunter Bacoli. Um, so, yeah, I saw that and I didn't really fancy watching the whole 12 rounds. But very interesting because, like I say, I as we all, we all, um, we all knew that Ritson's been stopping people early, but Patera, as we said, had never been stopped in his three losses. So um, unbelievable. He's, he's lost here at European level, which we all think he's better than European level. So I think maybe they just need to take a little bit of a step back, come off the hype train a little bit, and just kind of relax with him. Um, it's been very rushed. He's very young still. He can certainly come again. I think the rematch is something that probably should happen perhaps next year. And... Um, that's if Patera can actually hold on to the belt that long. But I think he would beat Patera. I think he's got the beating of Patera. But I think he, I think he's just a little bit naive at the moment. I think he's kind of believing in his own hype a little bit. But, you know, he's beating these guys that weren't on the level of Patera. And that's the the open and shut of it, really. I mean, I mean, Sean Mashadod fought out of his skin to beat Patera in a very, very close fight. But the interesting thing here is, I actually picked Lewis Ritson to win on points, where you went with a knockout for Ritson, and so did the listeners. So I actually saw this fight going long, um, but it didn't end up going in Ritson's favour, which I was very shocked about. Like I say, I thought he'd get the rub of the green. Um, but yeah, you didn't give him many rounds, so perhaps it was wider than you know, too wide to, to give him any, any rubber to green. But um, again, I went with Hunter to win on points, which was 45 seconds away from happening. Um, but let's talk about another fight on the, uh, on the, on the, on the undercard. Once again, here, a fight that I missed. I So if you didn't see any of this, then we just have to announce the result here. Glenn foot 23 and three, um, put his Commonwealth super lightweight title on the line against Robbie Davies jr. Who's now 17 and one. Cause he picked up the win unanimously over 12 rounds. So he took the Commonwealth, title away from Glenn Foote and he's now the new British super lightweight champion it was vacant before the fight so two new belts there for Robbie Davies Jr 17 and one a good win there over Glenn Foote like I say but I didn't see it Ayers did you see any of it at all no unfortunately I didn't all right, no problem. But like I say, um, Robbie Davies Jr., all the very best to him, a good friend of the show. Moving out now stateside to the final Bill 2 review. This one happened at the CHI Health Center in Omaha, Nebraska, USA. Um, we had Mike Alvarado pick up win number 40. He's also got four losses, a TKO in the second round against Robbie Cannon, who was 16-13 and 13 with three draws. People saying Mike Alvarado's back. He deserves a big shot once again. I hope they're being sarcastic. This guy was 16 and 13. Let's not get carried away, but he did finish him with a real big knockout. Um, <laughs> Carlos Adamez picked up win number 15, a knockout in the second round for him against Joshua Conley, who was certainly overmatched. His record now 14 and 3 with one draw. Um, he actually came in too heavy for the fight as well, so the belt wasn't on the line for him, but I don't think it mattered at all. Carlos Adamez, the new NABF super welterweight champion. Also, we had Shakur Stevenson, I asked, who really impressed me here. He moved to 9-0, and a TKO in the first round against Viriel Simeon. Simeon was down three times in that first round. And we've got to remember, he went the distance in, in his only two losses. He went the distance with Scott Quigg in what was, I won't say it was a close fight, but it was certainly competitive. He gave Quigg a good fight. And then he went the distance and lost against Lee Selby. Again, not a fight that was super competitive or super close, but it was 
well, sorry, not super close, but it was quite competitive. I think one of the judges had it 116, 113, something like that. So a close fight in both in both of his losses against Selby and Quigg. But then again, like I say, Shakur Stevenson gets in there and stops him in the first round. Three knockdowns. Statement made there for Shakur Stevenson, who's been knocked about not really having the power. I think he's adjusted from the amateurs to the pros like a dream, to be honest with you. And he's a friend of the show, so I wish him all the very best. And that's a brilliant win for him there. Um, very young still, Shakur Stevenson. So to think what he's going to be like in a few years is quite frightening. He really can be excellent if he sticks at it and you know continues to dedicate himself to the sport. But um, one thing I will throw out there in defense of Virial Simeon, he hadn't been in the ring for, I think it was about 17 months. And he was pulled in at short notice. But he was in the gym training, actually. And he was in good shape, to be honest with you. So uh, not too much to take away there from the win. But a brilliant statement, nonetheless. On paper, that's excellent there from Shakur Stevenson to stop him. Um, and now the main event here. Terence Crawford, 33-0, and put his WBO welterweight title on the line against Jose Benavidez Jr., who was 27-0. and um, Both men undefeated. Both men um, had a combined record of 60 and O, somebody's O had to go, like I say, and it was the O of Benavidez, he was down once in the 12th round, the fight itself, I felt that the first round was quite a close round, there was more shots thrown by Crawford, but the more meaningful shots that landed were by Benavidez, I think Crawford missed a little bit um, when he was coming in with his attacks, it was an argument for a 10-10, but if I was pushed, I'd probably say Benavidez shaded that round, in the second round, it was another really close round, Benavidez was dropping his hands, he was starting to draw Crawford in. Crawford was beginning to, to to miss quite a lot, actually, which we don't see from Crawford. Both men had moments. Again, I felt it was a 10-10 round, so two close rounds there. Um, going into the third round, definitely Crawford won that round. Crawford seemed to have adjusted to the style of Benavidez. Um, he was landing to the body a lot, and the speed was so clearly with Crawford. Um, in the fourth round, I hate to say it, but another close round. I'd probably edge it to Benavidez. I think he got the better of the power punches when they were trading off, and the amount of jabs that were landed by both men was pretty similar in numbers. So, again, just shaded there for me to Benavidez. The, the fifth round was another close round. Um, once again, I'd probably just shade it to Benavidez. I think he landed a beautiful combination um, in that in that round. A little bit like the the combination that that um, or the combinations that his brother David Benavidez likes to throw, or David Benavidez, I should say. Um, I think when he when he finished off Porky Medina, he threw a lovely combination to the head. It was similar of that, but of course it it wasn't as dangerous. Um, in the sixth round, a very very good round. Both men were exchanging. Benavidez seemed to have had the edge in power, I think, but cruel. Crawford won that round for me, but a lot of people disagreed with me and gave that round to um, to Benavidez. But in the seventh round, and this is where Crawford started to run away with it in the second half of the fight for me, um, it was a clear round for Crawford in the seventh. Um, Crawford, ridiculously fit. We know his condition in his second to none. Benavidez was starting to tire a little bit in that seventh. In the eighth round, Crawford was beginning to dominate. Um, he was too skillful for Benavidez. He was too fit, like I say, for Benavidez. In the ninth round, the punch output from Benavidez 
Spurs had rapidly declined. Crawford was cruising that round. He was starting to get very comfortable in there. It was starting to look quite easy from him. In the 10th round, it was a good round for both men. I think there was there was exciting moments where the pair would trade shots in the middle of the ring, but Crawford was able to trap Benavidez on the ropes for the majority of that round. Benavidez didn't seem too upset about being on the ropes, to be honest. He was happy to be there, but it was the wrong tactics from him. Another round there for Crawford. In the 11th round, um, a very good round for Crawford once again. He seemed to, like I say, dominate the second half of the fight unquestionably. He probably hurt Benavidez for the first time in the fight in that 11th round. And like I say, Benavidez was continuing to run out of steam. No sharpness was left in him. Crawford was able to hit him at will pretty much. And Crawford was looking excellent in that 11th round. And then, like I say, in the 12th and final round, a very good round for Crawford. It was a decent round. It was fairly competitive. And then Crawford landed a lovely uppercut, which dropped Benavidez heavily. Um, to his credit, he did get back up to his feet and Crawford tried swarming him immediately. But from my angle, it looked like he missed most of his shots, but he did get through with two or three um, heavy looking shots and the stoppage came. He was a little bit premature in my opinion. I know he'd been down a few seconds before that, but there was only, um, I think, 15 seconds or something left in the in the, in the the round. So, uh, yeah, he, he was quite unlucky to not survive the distance, Benavidez, but you can't take anything away from Crawford. He did his job. And like I say, he was in there against a man who was so much taller than him. He was giving away so many inches um, in terms of height and stuff like that. I think Benavidez stands at six foot two. And remember, um, Crawford's, a, you know, he's, a, he's well, he was big for, for, for lightweight. He was big for 140, but... Um, since moving up to 147, taking on Jeff Horn, he gave away size there, and he gave away even more size here against Benavidez. So credit to him, he's fighting the taller guys, and he's still he's still able to beat them. Um, yeah, one thing that, that I say here, like about the prediction league, just before we wrap up part one, um, I as you've come from behind because last week you were like I say at the back, and you're now in the lead with the predictions. It's crazy because I came so close. I mean, I backed Hunter to win on points. No one believed that that would happen. It was 45 seconds away from happening. I backed Ritson to win on points. No one saw that go into points, but obviously he lost a split decision. I backed Robbie Davies Jr. to win on points, which happened. And then I backed Crawford to win on points, which was 15 seconds or less away from happening. So basically, I predicted that all four fights would go the distance, and they either did, or they went into the last 45 seconds of the round, um, or, or the last 15 seconds of the round. So uh, <laughs> somehow I only gained one point, and I, as you were able to leapfrog me there. So um, that is, let's have a look, let's have a look. You got three right eyes, a Hunter knockout, Davies Jr. on points, and Crawford by knockout. The listeners only got one right, which was Crawford to win by knockout, and I only got one right, which was Robbie Davies Jr. to win on points. So... Um, you're in the lead, as you've come from behind. Me and the listeners still tied up. Um, but we will talk about the totals of the scores at the end of the show. But that's really it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former British champion, but not just any British champion. Oh, no, this man has got the belt for keeps. It's at his house. It's, of course, Mr. Bradley Skeet. Bradley, welcome back on the show. I did, Joe. You good, mate? Yeah, not too bad. But firstly, Brad, um, I really do appreciate you making some time for us on what is your birthday. This, of course, is your 31st. So uh, happy birthday, Brad. Thank you, mate. Nice one. But no birthday celebrations today. I'm in the gym. You might hear the, the bags rattling. I'm in, in the gym, working hard and, yeah, getting ready for Saturday. So, yeah, we'll celebrate Saturday. 
Excellent, man. The 17th of October. Um, just to throw it in there, my great-granddad would have been 100 years old today, God rest his soul. But, Brad, we, uh, wicked. we caught sure, up in... a good man. There you go. Yeah, he was a good man. He was a good man. But we caught up in the build-up to the Leharaga fight last time out. Um, it was back in February, actually, about a month out from the fight. Um, all I can ask, Brad, really is... I know it's a difficult question to answer, but what went wrong yeah. that night? It wasn't the Bradley Skeet that we know. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. It just it just wasn't me on the night. Um I'm making no excuses. Um I just it just it just wasn't me. Um right. I think everyone who knows me um and see see the performance, um, it just, just wasn't me. Um I don't I don't know don't know what it was. Um yeah, it was hostile crowd, um it was a it was a it was first time fighting away from home and it, but it's it's one of them and it's boxing got you got to part with them things sometimes and it just it just wasn't the performance it wasn't it wasn't me in there but like I said I don't make excuses the better man won on the night um, it was over before it started really but uh, I brushed myself down and, and we'll go again yeah, it was it was a real weird situation because the way I kind of saw things, I mean, you were pushing to be the WBO mandatory, and you know, a world title shot w- would have been coming for you really if you'd have waited a little bit. But it seemed like you kind of took that fight a little bit as a kind of keep busy fight. But obviously, no one knew how good this guy was, and then obviously losing to him in a way, I guess, has kind of ripped a big payday from underneath your feet. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I was going over there. I was as the favourite not like speaking to you beforehand as well we were both said he's looking for his record he's got a really good record but no no one stood out on his, his record um, he, he didn't he boxed out of Bilbao once and uh, yeah he just he, the only name what stood out really was Denton Fussell and that was really at the end of Denton Fussell's career so I wasn't really I wasn't really like looking into it too much um, we knew he had power but we didn't we didn't know how, how obviously he had how much power and who he who he'd been stopping, but obviously to get a good win over me like that is 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 in all the world rankings now. He's higher, so good luck to him. And um, he's a, he's a great fighter, and he, he's, I'm sure he'll go on to do big things. And without me going off topic too much, I'm pretty sure that at the Joshua Povetkin fight, I'm so sure it was him. It had to be him. I saw him in the queue. I was queuing up to get a hot dog uh, between yeah. the fights, and he was in the queue. I'm sure it was him because he had a he had a like a Bilbao Football Club T-shirt on. It must have been him. Yeah, um, but yeah, it probably I f- was. It probably was. Yeah. And what what fight was that? That was at the Joshua Povetkin fight. And yeah, he was there. He was there because he messaged me. We, we've kept in contact since the fight and he messaged me and said he was going to the fight. So it would have been him. Oh, it would have been him. So you guys are pretty cool now then? Yeah. Listen, it's, it's, it's a fight at the end of the day with a gentleman. And he's, he's, he's a family man like me. He's got a little girl. I met his family. I met his wife. I met his little girl over there. Um, and it's business. Listen, it's business. We ain't in there. To hate each other, we shook hands, we pushed shook hands off, and, and we've stayed in contact. So, yeah, it, 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 it is what it is. Okay, good job. I never went over and gave him a body shot because I felt like <laughs> doing it. <laughs> but but on to other things, Brad. You're, you're back this weekend against a guy who's probably got the most Spanish sounding name in boxing. Um, <laughs> is this, is this your, your revenge to try and beat up someone with a Spanish name? <laughs> 
well, yeah, I think I think he's I think he's Mexican, but I think he's living he out in Spain, but he's got a Spanish name. So, um, yeah, I don't, it's a bit of, a bit of revenge, bit bit of sweet, really. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Fernando Valencia. Um, the guy's record is eight and six, but of those six losses, he's never been stopped. Brad, is this fight no. about getting the confidence back? Is this fight about trying to knock a guy out that's never been stopped before, or is it just simply a fight? Yeah, listen, it's simply just a fact getting back into the swing of things, getting back to winning, getting back to doing what I do best. Um, I've not I've not had that much momentum. I've, uh, I've boxed, obviously, April for the European. That was less than two rounds. And then before that was in July. So it's all about getting getting some rounds. I'd like to get some rounds. Uh, listen, the stoppage would be great to stop a guy who's never been stopped. But I, I, listen, if I get the rounds, I get the rounds. That just sets me up for December. Should be out again in December, so yeah, I look for to build momentum and uh, yeah, all starting on Saturday, getting back to winning ways. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Will you be fighting again before the calendar year's out? You've kind of answered that there. You're looking at something in December, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, December the eighth. I tell you the date. December okay. the eighth. Okay, okay. But um, first things first, we get a clinical win on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. Now, Frankie Gavin has come out and said that he was offered to fight you, um, despite you knowing that he's fighting Kerman Leharaga next month. Is there any truth in that, Brad? Yeah. Um, I believe so, but I've seen the tweet, but I obviously, for people, the way he's put it, it's like, I've offered him the fight. I don't, I haven't, I didn't personally offer him a fight. Obviously, he's gone on, like, in the office or whatever, they, they've offered him the fight, but um, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, he needs to concentrate straight on on Kerman because uh, he's uh, he won't be boxing me in December no way if he's boxing Kerman in, in November he won't be boxing me he won't he won't be he won't be boxing me no way in 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 December so um yeah I don't know why they would have offered offered it to him for December but it, it, it's a fight I've got a lot on my record to him and it's a loss I'd want to put right um if if it can happen it happens but I can't see him fighting after after the Kerman fight so I just concentrate on my career. And and let him worry worry about his. He's got he's got big fight ahead of him, so he needs to stop worrying about me and worry about his, his, the fight with Kerman. Yeah, I think he kind of came out and said that you know I think he said himself that he wouldn't be ready for later this year, maybe something next year, like the early part. Which, by the way, just from my point of view, if I may say so, I'd love to see that rematch because you mentioned there, yeah. you know, he's got a win over you on paper, but it very much was yeah. on paper. I was there, um, yeah. I was there at that fight, and I thought that you actually won that fight, in my opinion. But yeah. a, lo- said a lot of people do, a lot of people do. So it's boxing, it happens. One of them, and listen, to, since the fight, just look at our careers. He's gone on and, and got beat by, by and dropped and stopped by Sam Egger and the guy who I went on and, and beat. So it's, it's, it's boxing. It's, 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 that's how it goes, don't it? So it's just, it's just one of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, who wins that fight, by the way, between Frankie Gavin and Leheragra? I'm guessing you probably favour <laughs> the Spaniard. <laughs> you didn't ask that. I think you know who wins that fight. <laughs> hey, I don't know, man. I don't know. Frankie's Frank, Frank. You know, depends what Frankie turns up, Brad, man. Yeah, no. Listen, he 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 ain't he ain't gonna win that fight. He ain't gonna win that fight. No way. Okay, okay. Now I'm sure <laughs> I also read something, Brad, about you. Um, I don't know how it kind of started, but you said something about you you you've got your eye on perhaps Gary Corcoran. Is that true? Mm. No, I listen. I, I if I'd been Gary Corcoran, I'd have kept my British title and, and defended it against him. 
I'm looking to move on from the domestic scene now. And uh, and it's, it's it's my stable mate now, Johnny Garton, he's next in line. Um, I've won the domestic belt outright, the British title outright. Um, so uh, me and domestic level, I should have been done with it a long time ago. And um, yeah, I move on. But listen, if 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 Gary was to was to beat uh, John, um, then it's it's a fight down the line that I'm sure can can get made because we're both in the same in the same stable um, with Frank under Frank Warren. Um, it's a fight that's been spoke about. And I think I think it's a good fight, but it deserves more than than uh, domestic title. It deserves a, a bigger bigger title f- for us and a bigger payday, to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree, to be honest. Um, talking about the world scene, just quickly, Brad. Obviously, everyone's kind of, um, you know, they got their own opinion. Who's number one? Who's number two? But my top three um, would have yeah. to be at one four seven. It's got to be Spence, Crawford, and Furman. Would you disagree with that? Yeah. Which order would you put those three in? Yeah, the same. The same. The same. Um, I think definitely Spence is the top one at the minute. Um, no disrespect, Crawford. He's just come out and put the weight. He's, He's had a good good few wins at the, at the weight now, but I think I think Spence is, is the one at the top. Uh, then obviously Crawford, then then Furman. It's mad to think in such a such a great division that Pacquiao's the weak link. It's mad. Yeah, it is. It really is. And finally, Brad, just before we let you go, my friend, like I say, I really appreciate you taking some time out from your birthday. Is there anything at all that you want to say just to our listeners before we let you go? Yeah, just uh, as always, thank you for the for everyone who supports me and. And, and shows me the love. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting back on on Saturday and and doing the business. And again, um, to my sponsors, my my full time sponsor, the King Group. Um, a new sponsor is Common Ball Club Whites, um, Athletes Kitchen, uh, David Lloyd for my membership, um, Box Fit for my kit, and Ringside. Thank you. Well said, well said. Right, listen, Brad, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. You know that. I wish you the absolute best for Saturday, and we'll definitely catch up sometime after. Thank you, bro. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Ayaz, take it away. What you got for us? Yes, the first news is that Liam Williams will face JJ Metcalf on the undercard of Carl Frampton vs. Josh Warrington. Yeah, of course, December 22nd. We had Liam on the show um, a few weeks ago. You know, we were talking about his upcoming fight, which he went on to win, and we were talking about his link-up with Dominic Ingle, and he did let it slip that he would perhaps be taking on JJ Metcalf later on in the year. And then it kind of faded away. The news kind of faded away, and we weren't sure what was going to happen, but we heard there was a fight being announced, and it was, in fact, JJ Metcalf. So um, I know he's well up for that fight, and that should be a good one. So all the very best to Liam Williams, friend of the show. Okay, Matram have announced an, another boxing uh, card in Monte Carlo on the 24th of November. Yeah, I'm just going to quickly run through the card here. We've got Cal Yafai putting his WBA World Flyweight title on the line against Israel Gonzalez. Um, we've got Zalil Zhang, the guy that I've been talking about for a long, long time, the Chinese silver medalist in the Olympics. Um, he, you know, he turned pro. He's a big six foot six, I believe, southpaw, and he just hasn't really had the right fights. I think he's about 35 or 36 years of age. He needs to get moving. He takes on Alexander Ustinov, so that should be interesting. Also, we've got Dennis. Lebedev taking on Mike Wilson. That one's for the WBA World Cruiserweight title. Uh, also on the card, we've got Fan Long Meng, who was an Olympian, um, a Chinese Olympian. He takes on our very own Frank Buglioni, friend of the show. That one's for the IBF Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title, which belongs to Fan Long Meng, who's undefeated, I believe, in 13. So, um, 
yeah, a few decent and strange fights there. Obviously, it's going to be on Sky Sports. It's going to be on the Zone for the US viewers. But yeah, quite quite a few weird ones there. Very international. Like I say, Cal Yafai takes on a Mexican. Um, you know, top of the bill kind of thing is Lebedev, a Russian, taking on Mike Wilson, an American. We've got a Chinese heavyweight, Zalil Zhang, taking on a Russian heavyweight, Ustinov. And then we've got Buglioni taking on a Chinese light heavyweight in Fan Long Meng. So it's quite a flurry of odd matchmaking but that's my kind of card actually so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that one all the very best to Frank Buglioni um, and yeah the rest of the guys on the bill Cal Yafai looking forward to it yep that's it for the news thank you very much Ayaz right moving over now to the preview part of the show there's a fight happening later on this evening it's happening over in the Fantasy Springs Casino in California USA it's going to be shown on ESPN2 a Golden Boy promotion show friend of the show Jason Quigley 14 and oh he puts his NABF middleweight title on the line against Freddie Hernandez 34 and 9 obviously Jason Quigley a man that has recently like we just mentioned there about Liam Williams um, he's recently just linked up with the the Ingle gym as well so exciting to see um, Jason Quigley although it's another step up for him and I'm getting a little bit impatient with him to be honest I want to I want to really see him stepped up I think he's doing it um, the American way rather than the British way a little bit so um, I want to see him against some of the bigger names but he takes on a guy here who is a tough fighter I guess he's 39 years of age now Freddie Hernandez but he's been around the block he's a Mexican obviously um, but yeah I'd expect no real problems from Quigley. Let's talk about some of um, Hernandez's top fights. So, I mean, he beat Alfredo Angulo back in 2016. It, he actually lost... The bad thing is he lost six fights in a row from 2012 to 2014. And along the way, he lost on points to Eris Landilara. No shame in that. He lost on points to Demetrius Andrade. No shame in that. He lost by knockout to Julian Williams. He also got knocked out um, in the sixth round by Brad Solomon. But um, yeah, he got knocked out in a round by Andre Berto back in 2010. An undefeated Berto at the time. He did, however, beat Louis Colazzo back in 2011. That's probably his standout win you'd have to say but um yeah not a bad fighter a decent fight there for Jason Quigley who I don't believe will uh struggle with him too much but good little card there I suppose for a Thursday night moving over now though to the Brentwood Centre in Essex a fight card that I'm hoping to be there for and um, this one's going to be shown on BT Sport we have a, a real good bill here actually it's too good for the Brentwood Centre if I may say so I hope I'm not offending any Brentwood residents that may listen to this uh, to this podcast but we've got Umar Sadiq 3-0 taking on Zach Chelly 4-0 this is a fantastic fight once again Frank Warren matching his men together and seeing who's the best it's a risky fight because both men um, are not really fighting I'd imagine for too much money and there's no belt on the line so it's very early on but I suppose early on to take a loss isn't the end of the world someone will lose um yeah a good fight this one i think it's, it's a good clash of styles i mean umar sadiq is a tall rangy boxer he's an out and out boxer whereas zach Chelly can box but i think he's also a good fighter i think if it come down to having a war then you don't really want a war with zach Chelly. um i remember seeing zach Chelly take on adam jones who's one of my favorite all-time journeyman he's never been stopped even to this day he's as tough as old boots and zach Chelly actually wobbled Jones and you never see Jones get wobbled so I know that Zach Jelly can certainly punch um, but yeah Zach Jelly's been six rounds Umar Sadiq like I say three and oh um, he's been four rounds so there's not too much really to gauge off of that 
I think you'd have to say the power is with is, is with Chelly, but um, Sadiq is is um, very rangy, very tall, and a good boxing brain. Very clever man outside of boxing, as it is. So, um, an interesting clash of, of styles there. And I think, oh, as we're going to go to the predictions on this, I'm going to go. I know you're probably not going to know too much about these guys because they've been thrown on Frank Warren undercards and haven't necessarily been televised. But um, I've seen these guys a few times each. I remember being there for Zach Chelly's debut at York Hall and. Um, I'm going to go with Umar Sadiq to win on points, but like I say, I wouldn't be shocked either way. Um, while you gather your prediction, Ayaz, the listeners have gone with... In fact, tell me your prediction. I'll check what they've gone with. I'm going to go with Umar Sadiq on points. You're going to go with the same as me. Okay. And the listeners have gone with Chelly by knockout, 56%. And then after that, Sadiq on points, 22%. So interesting there from the listeners. They believe in Chelly's power. Certainly not saying that you shouldn't. He can really bang. Um, moving up the card once again, we've got Boy Jones Jr. 17-1 and one with one draw. He's in a six-rounder against Lester Cantiliano, who I think we've seen in there against Archie Sharp, 4-21 and 21, um, Cantilano. That is a six-rounder. Also, we've got Nathan Gorman, 13-0. and 0. His opponent yet to be announced. That is an eight-rounder there. Lucian Reed, 7-0, and 0, takes on Rafael Castillo, who's 14-47 and 47 with three draws. Return to the ring of Bradley Skeet, the man that's recently given up the British title. Um, it's interesting because the main event here is for his belt. It's vacant, obviously. He gave up the title. His record, 27-2. and 2. It's his 30th fight. He takes on Fernando Valencia, who's 8-6. and 6. That's an eight-rounder there. I think he's trying to get revenge on someone who's Spanish after losing to Leharaga. He won't mind me saying that, Bradley Skeet. <laughs> Moving up the bill once again, Anthony Yard, 16-0. He's in a 10-rounder against Walter Sequeira, who's 21-4. A lot of people very frustrated with this matchmaking because um, not many people know who this guy is, including myself. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know who he was. He's 21-4, like I say, 15 wins by knockout, so it would indicate that he can punch a little bit. He's an Argentinian fighter. But yeah, his four losses, one was by knockout, and that was to a guy called Ezekiel Moderna, who just lost a couple of weeks ago to Jose Uzcategui over 10 rounds. Um, but yeah, it was stopped by Moderna. He actually went 12 rounds with Avni Yildirim. We know him for losing to Eubank Jr. in the World Boxing Super Series. And aside from that, his other two losses, one was a split decision and one was a majority decision over four rounds on his debut. So... Again, it's another one for Yard where he takes on a guy who's relatively unknown, but he's probably quite a tough guy. So if he doesn't look good against him, people are going to get on his back, especially after Josh Buatzi beating Avalanche on the weekend in a round. So um, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be a fantastic reception for Yard if he doesn't get him out of there pretty early. Um, moving up the card once again, we're going to go to the predictions on this. Gary Corcoran, 18-2. and two, Those losses to Liam Williams and Jeff Horn, no real shame. He takes on Johnny the Pexican Garten, a man that really does like to fight. 22-1 and one with one draw Garten, former English champion. This one, of course, for the vacant British welterweight title, like I say, that was vacated by Bradley Skeet to give these guys something to fight for. Fantastic fight, and this one has war written all over it. Gary Corcoran, like a war and Johnny Garton he doesn't know how to not be in a war so I'd imagine this is going to be fireworks for the viewers and like I say I'm hoping to be there to watch it how do you see it unfolding as Corcoran and Garton uh, I think it's going to be a very good fight obviously I don't know much about Garton I know much about Gary Corcoran if I'm going to go then I'm probably going to go Gary Corcoran on points 
Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you, Ayers, to be honest. I think that, obviously, he's boxed at the at the higher level. Um, I know he, he took on Jeff Horn, but he had to get on the road for that, and he actually gave him a tough fight. It was a very, uh, very bloody fight. But, um, yeah, well, he's had one fight since then, which I think is a good thing. I'm glad he's not jumping straight in without having a fight. In the meantime, he knocked out a guy called Victor Ankara in five rounds um, back in June. But, yeah, I'm expecting a win here for Gary Corcoran on points, just like you said, Ayaz. And the listeners were actually going with Corcoran by knockout. So that really would be something. Like I say, Gary Corcoran, a friend of the show, I wish him all the very best. Um, moving up the bill once again. No, sorry, that's it for that bill, actually. So leaving that one there, moving out now stateside to the CFE Arena in Orlando, Florida, USA. This one's a World Boxing Super Series card. We have Keith Tapia, 18-1, and one, takes on Mike Perez, 23-3 and three, with one draw, a 10-round contest there. That'd be quite interesting, actually. Mike Perez seems to lose, and then he just disappears and then he pops up in a big fight that's what he likes to do um the way he lost to Povetkin and then disappeared and came back at cruiserweight was just unbelievable but yeah getting down to the real gritty fights here Unia Dortikos 22 and 1 takes on Matthias Masternak 41 and 4 that's a brilliant fight by the way I'd expect Dortikos to win that by knockout but I'm very much intrigued for that one still don't know if it's going to get shown on TV or not I think it's probably on the YouTube channel which is quite annoying um, but the main event here, Emmanuel Rodriguez, 18-0. and 0, He puts his IBF World Bantamweight title on the line. Obviously, Rodriguez looked absolutely excellent when he beat Paul Butler. And he takes on Jason Maloney, who's a real good fighter. Obviously, um, Andrew and Jason, the two brothers, the two twins. Maloney's a good fighter, like I say, 17-0. and 0, Both men undefeated. Somebody's O's got to go. But I really rate Rodriguez, a Puerto Rican fighter and a master boxer. Um, I haven't seen too much of Maloney, if I'm being honest I've heard good things though um, I think he was quite a good amateur as well but I just really rate Rodriguez I think he's big for the weight and like I say his movement's unbelievable his feet are great and he's a very smart boxer very high ring IQ so I'd, I'd imagine that Rodriguez would win that fight but moving over now to another part of America we're going to the TD Garden in Boston Massachusetts USA I'm going to start with you here um, Demetrius Andre 25-0 and fights for the vacant WBO world middleweight title it was supposed to be Billy Joe Saunders in the other corner, but the less said, the better on that one. He takes on instead Walter Calton Dokwa, 17-0 and 0 with 16 knockouts. Obviously, I'm not expecting you to tell me a whole load on Calton Dokwa, because I don't know a whole load, but all I do know is... It's very, very difficult for Andre Diaz to prepare for his whole camp for a southpaw master boxer, not the massivest puncher in Billy Joe Saunders. And all of a sudden, forget about southpaw, he's fighting an orthodox. Forget about a master boxer, he's taking on a complete out-and-out banger in Calton Dokwa. Very, very hard to adjust to with just a few days out. But um, all the very best to Andre, of course. But very hard, like I say, to switch it up like that. Um, yes, I think, Andrew, I think it's going to be a very good fight. I think... Um... If I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go Andre to win on via knockout. Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to... Yeah, I'll, I'll probably side with you once again, as we, we seem to not be split so far. But yeah, this Calton Dockwa, I mean, you look at his record, he hasn't really got the names on there at all. I mean, his best win would probably be against maybe Billy Godoy. That was in his last fight. But then again, Godoy is not fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a banger. And that's what it is. He's a Namibian fighter. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really expect too much from him. Obviously, Demetrius Andrade was a brilliant amateur, stellar amateur, and um, you know he's a, he's an absolutely perfect pro at the moment, undefeated, and I'm expecting him to remain undefeated. Let's look at what the listeners have gone with. I'm expecting probably 
Demetrius Andre by knockout. Yes, Demetrius Andre by knockout, 55%. And Andre on points, 36%. No one giving a chance there to Kauten Dokwa. Um, that's it for that one. Moving up the card once again, we've got Kid Galahad 24-0 in a 12-rounder against Toka Khan Clary, who's 25-1. and I believe this is some kind of eliminator for a title. It's about time, really, for Kid Galahad. But a good test in front of him also. Again, he doesn't really seem to end up in the big fights, but this is a risky fight against a guy that can bang 17 knockouts from his 25 wins. His one loss came by knockout, though, in 2016 to John Gamino, who's not that known, um, a Philippine fighter. So that one's a real blemish, and it doesn't look too good. But he also has had a few decent fights where he's beaten people and took their O's. So... um, Quite a good fight, that one, for Kid Galahad. I'm hoping that he wins it, though, because we like Kid Galahad here. A friend of the show, a 12-round contest there. Katie Taylor defends her IBF and WBA World Female Lightweight titles against Cindy Serrano, who's 27-5 and with three draws. She's part of the Serrano sisters. They're both um, phenomenal athletes, the, the two sisters, Cindy and Amanda. Um, she's never been stopped, though, Serrano, but you'd have to say she's probably up against it here against Katie Taylor. So that one should be interesting, though, for Katie, this would probably be her toughest girl that she's been in with, um, arguably anyway. Also, uh, we've got Tevin Farmer, 26-4 and four with one draw. His first defense of his IBF World Super Featherweight title against James Tennyson Ayaz, who absolutely obliterated Martin J. Ward a few months back. He looked really good, and he's obviously a big, big guy for that weight there. 22-2, and two, like I say, Tennyson against Tevin Farmer, 26-4 and four with one draw. Can it be Tennyson's night, Ayaz? Talk to me. Um, no, I don't think so. I think Tevin Farmer's uh, the most experienced guy, and I think with the experience that he's got, I think he's going to win this fight on points. Yeah, once again, I've got to go with you, Ayaz, and so have the listeners. I think we're all going Tevin Farmer on points. Like I say, I think I think there will be a few moments, because I think Tevin Farmer, as good as he is defensively, I think he can be hit, and I think Tennyson can really punch. I think his power's underrated, actually, Tennyson. He looks so good um, against against Martin J. Ward. He really can punch, and like I say, um, real big for the weight, and he knows how to use his size. He's not, he's not as bad as what... Again, he's been knocked a few times, and obviously... His two losses have come by knockout. You know, he got he got stopped by Ryan Walsh in five rounds. He got stopped against a guy who, I've got to be honest, was a journeyman back in 2013. But since then, he's looked really, really good. Obviously, beating Ryan Doyle, who's now um, in a big fight in a couple of weeks' time. He beat Declan Geraghty. Um, like I say, the way he beat Martin J. Ward was unbelievable. And that's what set this fight up. But yeah... I can't take nothing away from him. He is a good fighter, but I just think Tevin Farmer, too silky and slick. The size may be a problem. I think he'll probably have a few moments, Tennyson. I think he'll probably start well, but um, Tevin Farmer, I just can't see um, losing it. I can't see him, certainly can't see him being outboxed. So I think he'll probably slide to a points win. He's not the biggest puncher himself, but he is very sharp. So could be quite interesting. I'm hoping it will be. Um, but yeah, we're all going Tevin Farmer on points there. Uh, moving down the card once again, Tommy Coyle, 24 and fours in a 10 rounder against Ryan Kills Weski, who I don't know too much about. I know he's 29 and three. I think this was a opponent change. I think Tommy Coyle was supposed to take on someone else, but he's got this guy here. Um, yeah, it's a step up in terms of looking at their, their resumes on paper. He's never been stopped, so I'm expecting this one to go to distance. He's not the biggest banger himself. Um, and Tommy Coyle, again, he's not the biggest banger when you really think about it, so probably a points fight that one, but obviously we're rocking with Tommy Coyle. Bring it back to hole, my friend. 
Um, also on the bill, we've got Scott Quigg, 34-2 and two with two draws. He's in an eight-rounder against Mario Briones, who's 29-7 and seven with two draws. I'm not quite sure the point of this fight, to be honest. Uh, this guy got knocked out in three rounds by a guy in his last fight who was 8-1 and one with two draws. Um, Any time he's ever stepped up or even thought about stepping up, he's been knocked out. So I'm expecting Quig to stop this guy pretty simply. Um, also, we're seeing the Olympic gold medalist Daniyar Yelusinov. His record 3-0. He's in a six-rounder. Um, his opponent yet to be announced, though. Again, people not too high on him just yet. You have to be patient. One knockout from his three wins um yeah that's it for that one there moving over now to the final bill to mention this one's happening at the park theater in las vegas nevada usa we have this one's going to be shown by the way on espn plus i believe that's the the mobile app and it's also going to get shown on box nation so set this one up to tape if you're interested that is we've got maxim dadashev um 11 and 0 he's in a real step up against antonio demarco 33 and 6 with one draw that's a 10 rounder there but the main event here the real fight on the card right Ryoto Murata, 14-1. His one loss was a very questionable loss to Hassan and Dam, which obviously the pair had a rematch and Murata beat him um, pretty clearly. And then, you know, he picked up the WBA World Middleweight title. So, yeah, he holds that belt. He puts it on the line here against Rob Brandt, who was the, the sole American going into the Super Middleweight World Boxing Super Series tournament last time out. And Rob Brandt came up against um, Jürgen Bremer. Then, of course, Bremer beat him, and the winner of that fight was supposed to take on... Callum Smith, which then obviously Bremer pulled out and instepped that kickboxer guy whose name was Nicky Holskins. So, uh, yeah, going off on a bit of a tangent there. But, yeah, Rob Brandt, 23-1. and one. The one loss was to Bremer. And aside from that, he hasn't really got the best wins. I think he I think he actually either came up in weight or went down in weight to enter that tournament. I think he went up in weight because he's now down at middleweight. So that would say that he went up in weight for the, for the tournament, which was obviously a, a silly thing to do. And Bremer came down in weight, if you remember. So interesting factors but yeah he's in there against Morata I don't really give him a chance I'd imagine that Morata would win that fight because Morata a good amateur obviously and um, a good professional with one questionable loss that he avenged so pretty much a perfect record from him but that's really it for the preview and like I say we've brought you guest number one we're about to bring you guest number two we brought you the review in the news and the preview in but yeah like I say just before we wrap up part two the last thing to do is to welcome guest number two Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO world title challenger. It's, of course, Mr. Gary Corker. And Gary, welcome back on the show. Cheers for having me, Matt. It's good to be on the show. Hey, it's always my pleasure having you on. So, Gary, we last spoke not too long ago, actually. It was back in June. At that time, you were getting ready to take on Paddy Gallagher, a fight that obviously never ended up happening. What actually happened for the fight to fall out of bed, by the way, Gary? Uh, I don't. I really don't. don't. He got an injury in his jaw or some but never happened so I'm just looking ahead now I'm just looking ahead not really bother what he's doing I'm just looking ahead uh, look for better and bigger teams and that's all of course of course you did end up fighting at the back end of that month though um, you took on Victor Ankara not really a well beater but a man um, that had a record of 8-2 and nah. two with 8 knockouts and he was obviously yeah. a banger but uh, you become the first man to stop yeah, him well, yeah he was, uh, he was a break it over like uh, some African who could punch a bit, who could punch a bit. So you can't. I couldn't take. You can't take no one likely in this in this sport. Even journeyman, you can't take no one likely. And this kid is just up above that. So um, he swung. He swung a few. He swung a few, but I was just too good for. Him. Yeah, 
like I say, became the first man to stop him, so not too bad there. And, um, yeah, that fight wasn't really, um, you know, the fight that you wanted, of course. Obviously, we mentioned, you know, the bigger fight fell through. Um, You got the knockout win. But now you have landed a big fight here, Gary. It takes place in two days' time at the Brentwood Centre. No disrespect to the Brentwood Centre, but I feel like this whole show is a bit too good for that venue. It, it is, it is a bit too good for this venue, but listen, get me in a boxing ring, I ain't bothered. Get me in any ring, <laughs> to the bothering. So, uh, it's big enough, it's big enough, but uh, I, you know what, I, my favourite first fight is your call. Um, I would rather in there, you know what I mean, but I know it's not big enough, so, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is, and in the other corner stands Johnny Garton, a man I'm guessing you know pretty well. Yeah, I know Johnny Grant. I know Johnny Grant. He's a, he's a tough kid. He's a tough kid. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm not taking nothing like you. John's a good fighter. To get to this level, to get to this level, he has to be in something right. You know what I mean? He has to be in something right. So uh, I can't wait to fight John. I actually can't wait to fight him. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I've seen myself, I've seen Garton fight a few times, and every time I've watched him, he brings the action. He likes a war. Obviously, the one loss came to Sam Eggington in two rounds, but you know, you've know you undoubtedly fought at the much higher level. This is your chance to also win the British title, which is currently on the line and vacant. I'm expecting a great fight here. Yeah, you speak, yeah everyone's expecting a great fight, expecting a great fight. But as if, if I listen to my trainer, do everything what I'm doing in the gym, I'm spying quality fighters and the two in the two, three in and out, in and out, in and out and I'm doing good. So uh so I'm I've been at a higher level than John, a very high level than John. But I'm taking nothing from John. John John's a good fighter, so I'm I trained hundred percent for this fight, I trained hard, so I'm just I'm just there it's business to me. I just wanna beat him up and it's business to me. Have you ever had a chance to spar him at all, or have you just watched a couple of his fights? Sparred John. Sparred John. So I sparred John ever once. I sparred Bradley Skeet when I was fighting. Who was it? Was it fighting? I had one fight for against Joe Silker, and I was supposed to fight, uh, fight him, and he was the second sparring partner. He was the last sparring partner. He was like after Bradley. I'd spar Bradley first and spar him. Okay, okay. Now, um,. I see this fight, like I say, I see this fight turning into a brilliant fight. Like I say, he likes to slug it out. You're a good boxer, but I know I know myself that you can get down and dirty and have a war. Um, I actually see you as the favourite, but I've spoken to one or two people that say they reckon Garton wins. I just can't see a way that with both of your styles that this fight can be anything but action-packed. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not just saying it because you're on the phone. I think yeah, it's going to be a yeah, cracking yeah. fight. No, no it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a cracking fight. A lot of people, listen, a lot of fighters say, my chat a few fighters don't like me. My, a few fighters don't like me. And don't know why I like that. I don't know why. <laughs> but <laughs> there's, there's a, you know, have his own not saying what he's in. But if I do what I do best, do proper and go into it, I'll beat Johnny Gant. And that's, that's, that's the honest answer. I'll beat Johnny Gant. But I'm not overlooking John. John's a good kid. So uh, I'm I'm going to 100 percent and I'm going to I'm going to do my job. But I know if I I will turn up in that fight, John's in for a very a very hard night and a, a very punishing night. I'm going to punish him. 
And Gary, I want to get your take on a couple of other fights that's happening. Um, it's looking like, finally, after all these years, Khan versus Brook um, is, is ever closer. I mean, they're talking about early 2019. If that should happen, who do you have winning that one? I have Brook winning that. It's too winning. powerful. Time beats speed. And another fight, another fight that's happening at 154. I know that you're the level above these guys at the moment, but a fight yeah, yeah. where you may you may have an interest in, or at least want to give your opinion. Um, a senior Byfield and Ted Cheeseman, brilliant fight. Yeah, me and Byfield spar. Me and Byfield spar a lot. I'm good mates with Byfield. I know, I know, I know Ted as well. Spar Ted a few times before, but uh, it's going to be a really, really good fight. A really good fight. Uh, Byfield is uh, is a good fighter. He's a very good fighter. And um, Ted's a very good fighter. So whoever turns up at the end of that night wins. I think wins. If uh, Byfield turns up on box like he does, I think even just Ted's boxes like he did, he could win. So it's going to be a very good fight. Six fifty five. fight. Yeah, truly is a 50-50. Now, last time I spoke to your uh, your arch nemesis, Liam Williams, was back in August, and I asked him yeah, quite yeah, a funny yeah. question. I asked him who he would rather send the Christmas card to, Gary. Would it be yourself or Liam Smith? And he said he'd rather send the Christmas card to Liam Smith because if it was you sending him a Christmas card, he believes that you'd wipe the card yeah. with your ass before sending it, sending it to him. Is that no, true? <laughs> I would, no, I wouldn't. No, I would not. I'd put it on my table. <laughs> that's a prize Liam, Liam sent me a card you know what I mean so uh, it'd be nice <laughs> bad blood is gone the bad blood is gone that is you know good what I mean? to hear if he sent me a Christmas card yeah I'll send him a Christmas card so <laughs> and finally yeah, so, nah, listen. go on go on yeah it's like I said it's no problem with Liam it's no problem it was business it's over and done with a few years ago and me and him has gone on from there and he's fought at world level I fought at world level so Two are good fighters, and that's in the way. Uh, we're boxers, and we leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, well said. Two good lads. And finally, finally, Gary, um, what is your prediction for Saturday night if you should have one? How do you see yourself becoming victorious? I will win. I will win. Well, however comes, what round it comes, I don't know, but I will win. And if I see a point where, where I can stop, I will stop him. And I'm just, I just think I'm... People might look at you, but I just feel I'm level above John, and and it's down to me to show it how good I am. And I will if I, if I do what I've been doing, I'm going to show it. Yeah, like I say, I've been building this fight up for a while to the listeners. I think this is a brilliant fight. I'm very much looking forward to it. And finally, um, yeah. Gary, just before I let you go, you know, we caught up not too long ago, but have I left anything out? Is there anything that you want to say at all before I let you go? No, 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 no. This is all. That's all good. Everything's good. Excellent. Well, Gary, listen, it's always my pleasure having you on the show. I wish you the absolute best of luck for yeah. Saturday. I'll see you there. You too, we'll man. catch up you after. Too. You coming there, yeah? You going to be there, yeah? I'll be there I'll cheering be there. you on. <laughs> see you there, Gary. A spectacular performance. <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of it, man. Okay, and this wraps up what has been episode 157 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former British champion Bradley Skeet and the former world title challenger Gary Corcoran. Both men are in action on the same bill this Saturday, and both men could even end up fighting each other soon enough. There has been a few pieces of news that has broke during our time recording this show. Um, Derek Chisora has announced... A 
and management deal with David Hay. Who saw that one coming? Once again, Del Boy proves that he's a total, total nutter. Canelo has signed a $365 million deal with DAZN. Wowzers there. Um, Isaac Dogbay will be defending his world title against Emmanuel Navarrete on the Lomachenko versus Pedraza undercard on December the 8th. And it's not being announced until tomorrow, but I'm 99.9% sure that Joseph Parker's next fight on December 15th will be against the subpar opponent Alexander Flores, a man who only has one loss and it was to Charles Martin by knockout. That's really it for the news though. The Prediction League currently stands at myself and the listeners tied on 63, but Ayaz has come from behind once again and is now leading on 64 points. Best of luck with your predictions this weekend, people. Enjoy the fights. Thank you all for listening and we shall see you next week.